scripture reading from this morning is from Ephesians 4, verses 7 to, I think, all the way to 13, but bring it up there. Here we go. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scripture says, when he ascended to the heights, he led, the, he led a crowd of captives and gave, gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build, us, build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Beautiful day the Lord has given to us this morning. Everyone these days has been out there enjoying the beautiful weather. It's awesome getting the lawns prepared and the grass ready to go for the, for the summer. If you're a guest this morning, I want to say welcome. Great to have you uh, here at uh, TCC. Uh, we're in the fourth chapter of Ephesians. So we've been doing a study of the book of Ephesians. We're in the fourth chapter this morning. If you have a Bible, I hope you'll take it and follow or a phone and follow. It's good to kind of follow the text just to kind of see how it's progressing. As you know, Paul is the writer and he has already laid the foundation uh, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, and uh, he's getting us ready for the concluding part, uh, chapters 4, 5, and 6. So he moves us from some great theological truths in the, uh, in the first half to more of the practical outworking of these truths in the second part of the, of the letter. But first of all, those uh, Las Vegas Golden Knights... I tell you, they are one of the most compelling uh, stories in sports right now. This is their first year in the NHL, 2017 to 2018, and they've gone to the first round of the playoffs. Now they're in the second round, and it's looking pretty good. I'm cheering for them all the way. Sorry if you're a Sharks fan, but I'm cheering for the Golden Knights all the way. They're working together like an experienced team. And, you know, they have come uh, from every team, basically, in the NHL, and they've gelled together in this first year, and it's quite a story. It's quite a story. Nate Schmidt, uh, who came from the Capitals, uh, he said, uh, we, we knew what we had in each guy, but we didn't know what, what it was like uh, to bring everybody together in the same room. So we knew the giftedness of everyone, but, but what's it like to be together? And uh, he said, that's been the beauty of this team, and we've had so much fun and so much success. And, and it's interesting that there are no superstars in the group, which may be kind of a blessing in disguise, that they've all come with their 100% game, and uh, they're all doing it. They're all just really doing it. So teamwork, 
using their gifts as a team. Using their gifts as a team. I was so fired up this week to read these verses in Ephesians 4, uh, verses 7 to 13, because it reminds us of how God has brought together a team. He's brought a, he's brought a great team together here on this earth. And this passage, uh, although sometimes I get a little bogged down in reading it, as you might have this morning, it, it's like, Paul, what are you saying? Uh, when it actually unfolds, it's such a great note to the church. And it's not bringing together superstars, but all of us. And God works on us, and he makes us a team, and he equips us to play the game with all we got. With all we got. So that's our text this morning, uh, spiritual gifts. Yates Pool, I don't know if you've heard of Yates Pool. It's a famous oil field in West Texas. During the Great Depression of the 1930s, the field was owned by a sheep uh, rancher by the name of Ira Yates. And because uh, he had problems, uh, I mean, it was the, it was the dirty 30s. It was, it was difficult to make money. He had a hard time paying his mortgage. And so with little money for food or clothing, he lived in those Depression years on subsidy from the government. And day after day, he would look after the few sheep he had, and he was always trying to rack his brain as to how he was going to pay his bills. One day, a crew of men from an oil company came into the area, and they convinced Yates that there might be oil in his land. Would he take a chance, and would he allow them to drill a wildcat test well? So he agreed, and back in those days, you, you owned the mineral rights. He agreed, he signed it, and uh, he had a contract. Well, at 1,115 feet, the drillers struck a huge oil reserve. And the very first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. But that was only the beginning. There were many more wells that came in, some more than twice as productive as the first. And then if you move to the 1960s, 30 years later, uh, after oil had been pumped for over 30 years, a government test of just one of the wells showed that it had a potential flow of 125,000 barrels of oil a day. In the year 2000, Yates Field was one of the top 10 producers of oil in the United States of America. Well, Ira Nates, uh, Yates never had to worry about paying the mortgage on his land ever again or any of his bills. He could have paid that mortgage many, 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 many times over and still had millions because he had the mineral rights. He owned all the oil. He was a very, very wealthy man. I kind of feel that way when I read the letter to the Ephesians, that we're wealthy. I'm wealthy. You're wealthy. We are rich, so much richer than we could ever even imagine. And sometimes we don't realize it, that it's there. It's, we're in the pool, and we just have to drill, and it's, it's there. Remember that third verse of chapter 1, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, oh, he's blessed us, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. And the blessing uh, becomes especially noticeable uh, through the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. That's when it starts to take 
notice. The Holy Spirit breathes new life into old bones, and he pours new wine into new wineskins. And there are evidences of the working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our lives, as we come to Jesus and as we listen to his Spirit. Now, in an attempt just to make this clear, what Paul is teaching here, let me frame it in the following ways. First of all, two kinds of gifts. Verse 7, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That maybe doesn't say it as clearly as it might. The New American Standard Bible captures it in a stronger way, I think. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, I take this to mean that God has given to us two kinds of gifts. One, Paul calls the measure of the other. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, or more literally, the gift of Christ. And so the gift of Christ is the, more, is the most foundational gift, the gift of Christ himself. He's a gift to us. He is our greatest gift. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9.15, Thanks be to God for that unspeakable gift, for that inexpressible gift. So he has given each of us that foundational gift, the gift of Christ. You've been saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and the immeasurable grace of God has been extended to you personally. So first of all, we have the gift of Christ. We have the saving grace. We have the grace of our salvation. That's something that we all cherish. It places us into the body of Christ. And what a gift to have Christ living in us. I pray that every one of you knows that gift of Christ living in us. Or if you're here this morning and you don't know that, that you will come to know the joy of Christ living in you. The gift of Christ himself in you. But second, once we are in the body of Christ, there's more grace. Grace to minister, grace to serve, grace to use the gifts that he has given us to equip and minister to the body of Christ. So Paul says, but to each one of us, grace has been given. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So this is the gift of the Spirit to each Christian as a special ability or capacity for service. The Greek word in verse 7 for grace is charis. The word for grace and the word for gift uh, are the same word. They're the same word. So you have been given this grace gift to serve God. He's not saying that, that some people get more saving grace than others. We all get the same abundant measure of God's grace in salvation. He's saying we've been apportioned a spirit-given gift or ability. So we have the gift of Christ, our gracious Savior, and we have the grace, the charis, which refers to the gifting of the Spirit. You have a, a gift given to you by the Spirit, given to you through grace. So there is a pool of resources available to the body 
It's like Yates Pool, this giant oil field, this giant spiritual gift field, and the gifts are there, and they're available as a mighty resource. And our job is to use the resources that he has allocated to us. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace has been given to you. Gifting has been given to you to perform the task that God has called you to do. He's gifted you to do what he's called you to do. So Paul states it again in Romans 12, 6. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Now, can I say just a word about these uh, spiritual gifts? Uh, Number one, each one of us who comes to faith in Christ has a gift. Probably more than one gift. Uh, All of us who come to faith in Christ has a gift. Probably more than one gift. Secondly, these gifts are not the gift of salvation, but gifts that we use to make a difference in our world for Christ. Salvation gets you into the body. Now you go to work with your gifts to serve. Thirdly, the gifts are varied, some very public and noticeable, others not as noticeable, but all important, uh, but not one more important than the other. It's like our body. The heart doesn't say to the lung, you're not needed because we couldn't get along without our lungs. And we couldn't get along without our, our heart. So the eye doesn't say to the ear, you're not as important as I am. Both are important. The gifts are varied, but they're all equally important. Then fourthly, the gifts have the same source of power. The power is the resurrected power of Jesus Christ. You have the resurrected power of Christ in you. Now, I don't know if you remember, Ray Steadman wrote a book. Oh, it's a long time ago now. It must be be back in the 70s that he wrote it. It was the classic book of the time on spiritual gifts. And that was just some of the time in which the Holy Spirit was reminding the church of spiritual gifts. And... uh, Ray Steadman was kind of right at the front of that. And he comments that these gifts are like so many electrical appliances. What a variety of appliances are available today. I mean, there's electric toaster, uh, toothbrushes, electric mixers, and irons, and razors, and on and on and on. But if you look carefully at all of those electrical appliances you will see that they are vastly different in what they do, but there is one thing that they have all have in common. They are exactly alike. They have a little cord with a plug on one end designed to plug into a receptacle, and, uh, and that's where they get the power. No matter how different the appliance is, the power is the same. So when our gifts are operating in the Spirit, we are all plugged into the same power, the same source of power, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. So somehow we got to realize we've got a pool of resources and then we are plugged in. When we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have a connection. We have a connection to those gifts. And 
Jesus has brought those gifts to us. So secondly, the giver of the gifts. That is why the scriptures say, verse 8, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and he gave gifts to his people. You know, I think uh, Paul's mind is so full with what he wants to say here that he almost loses us as he gets excited to tell us about spiritual gifts. And I kind of looked at this and I said, where, where, are, where are you going, Paul? What do you want to say here? And he knows exactly where he's going and he knows exactly what he wants to say. He actually does one of those side excursions we talked about a couple of weeks ago, those, the parentheses. He takes another one here in verses 9 and 10. You know, you could actually move from verse 8 to verse 11, and the thought would seem connected. But Paul has another truth that comes into his mind that he wants to make sure he gets it. I mean, this is so important to him. I don't want to lose it. You know how you, when you're in a conversation, oh, by the way, and I want, want to make sure I get this in. Paul was one of the greatest of all theological thinkers. He was trained in the finest rabbinical school. So when, when he comes to Christ, he has the resource of Christ in his life, but he has all of this incredible background of information that is inside his heart and inside his mind. And so he draws upon that. Whenever you see a verse with some indentation or italics, it usually is that the author is quoting from another source. And that's true in verse 8. Paul is paraphrasing Psalm 68, verse 18. And this is a picture of God leading his people in triumph during the Exodus. It's a, it's a picture of military conquest. Captives being brought before the king, gifts being received from the people. I mean, it's just a picture of victory. And Paul, when he, when he thinks about Psalm 68, verse 18, he sees a similar image in his mind that after the death and resurrection of Christ, our Savior led captive a host of captives. Now, in this case, great captives, good captives, people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. But he's led led captive a host of captives in the good sense, seating believers with him spiritually in the heavens. We've been brought into his family. And now, Christ distributes the wealth that he has received through the, his victory. So he's come through this victory, and now Christ is going to disperse wealth. Well, what's the wealth? It's the gifts. These are the spiritual gifts that he gives to us to live our lives effectively in his service. So he distributes the wealth or the gifts. Now, in verse 9 and 10, he takes a detour. Stay with me. I know this is a little detailed. Verse 9, notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. <laughs> now, these verses have uh, kind of puzzled the scholars over the years, especially the descent. What does it mean that he descended to the lowly world? It may be as simple as that it means the incarnation, that the Son of God descended from heaven to take on human form. Or it may be that the descent refers to the time between Christ's death 
and his resurrection. Some believe that after his death on the cross, Christ descended into the place of departed spirits, proclaiming victory over wicked spirits in bondage. Now, I don't know. I don't know. This is one of those texts that is not perfectly clear. This is, and this is certainly not the point of the whole passage. The point of the passage is that the Spirit has given amazing gifts to connect with a broken world, to build up the church, to connect with a broken world. But it's interesting, isn't it, and fascinating to try to get inside the mind of Paul. He knew what he meant. He didn't elaborate very much. So we have a little trouble getting hold of, of what he was saying. But there, there is a certain amount of ambiguity here. And uh, sometimes you just have to be okay to leave it there. That We're not quite sure. Well, what does seem real clear to us is the last part of verse 10. I think this is clear. So that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Christ ascended to the Father so that he might fill all things. Now, why did Christ go back to heaven? So that greater things could be done here on earth. He was designing a new and fascinating way in which to reach the whole world. Us. Yeah. Us by giving us the spiritual gifts. He was, he was designing a whole new way for, for, for him to fill the universe with his love, with his grace, with his, uh, his sense of who he is. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And you see, when Christ sent the person of the Holy Spirit from heaven, the Holy Spirit came and he brought with him gifts for everyone in the body of Christ. He distributed them. And guess what? You have some of those gifts. You have some of those gifts. One gift, two gifts, three gifts, four gifts. I don't know how many he gave you. What is a spiritual gift? Could we put it this way? A spiritual gift is an ability, a God-given ability, more than a human talent, a God-given ability that Christ gives us to enable us to perform a function in the body of Christ with effectiveness and ease, and might I add, joy, with joy. It builds up the body. It builds up the body. When everybody uses their gifts, it builds up the body, and therefore, it makes a difference in the whole world. Because when the body is strong, it influences the whole world. It's hard to know how many gifts there are. We read about them in Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, Romans chapter 12 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in 1 Peter chapter 4. Some think about 20 gifts. Uh, but I expect uh, that Paul didn't list them all. I expect that there are more. How about music? What a gift. How about counseling? What a gift. They're not listed, but maybe they fall under the category of serving. I think we should all learn and discover what our gifts are so that we can be as effective as possible 
in the kingdom of God. And so maybe you're sitting on a gift. You know, Yates is cool. You're sitting on a gift. Uh, and it needs to be unleashed in you. Oh, and God just wants to use that gift and use you to exercise that, that gift that he's, he's given to you. How do you ever find that out? What gift you've been given? Maybe, maybe you do see the gift in yourself. Or maybe you should just ask someone, can you help me with this? Or maybe you should just jump into a few areas and you will see. I love that. See a need and jump in. Just see a need and jump in. And discover, I'm good at this. Or I do it with ease and joy. Or, oh, I know that's not me. I will never do that again. Uh, oh, boy. It's a learning process. We were having the, the discussion the other day with some of the staff, uh, and it's a great question to ask. Where do you think God has gifted me? Why is it such an important question? Well, I really want to know, so I'm doing the areas of ministry in right priority. I don't want to be working over here that's not my gifting and my strength. I want to be working in the area of my giftedness. And the Holy Spirit has given just the right gifts for you. I just want to say that again. He has given just the right gifts for you. He knows you. He knows your personality. He knows how he's formed you. And God has sovereignly distributed the gifts. He's, he's, he has done that according to how he wants to do it. And if you take the time to know your gifts, you will learn something of what God has in mind for you. He, di he didn't ask you, what gifts do you want? He gave you gifts, sovereignly. And he expects you to check with him as to what those gifts are. And when you know that, you have some clues as to how he made you and how he wants you to serve. There's a bit of a sequence there. So two kinds of gifts, and then the giver of the gifts, and then finally, the equipping gifts, the equipping gifts. Now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. You have to visit a number of passages in the Bible to see the long list of gifts. But in the text, he gives four types of gifts, and that's just where I'll focus this morning. Number one, the apostles. Christ gave the church apostles. The word in verb form means to send forth. It's where we get our word missionary from, to send forth. They, they, the apostles were the early missionaries, if you like. They were the first missionaries. They were the sent out ones. The apostles, if you read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, and that gives you the clue as to what the, the gift is, the apostles had seen the risen Lord. They'd been empowered by God to do amazing signs and wonders to confirm their gospel message. They were gifted with great wisdom. And some of them were the writers, in fact, of the New Testament. John, Peter, Matthew, 
they were the original apostles. And they had a specific ministry which helped the church to grow. Of course, there are no apostles today in the sense of the first apostolic ministry. Those apostles have long died and they're with the Lord. There is a broad sense, however, in which all Christians have an apostolic ministry. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Some might want to say, well, missionaries who go to new areas, who've never heard the gospel before, they have an apostolic ministry. Some would see the apostolic ministry today as those who have strong giftings in the, in the sign gifts of healing and miracles. But generally, in our tradition here, we think of the gift of apostles as being as the, uh, the ministry of the 12 disciples who were chosen to be the apostles as found in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Secondly, the prophets. Uh, prophets served as the inspired spokespeople for God. They were the unique mouthpiece uh, from God. They played such an important role in communicating the word of God before the New Testament scriptures had been com completed. They spoke without error. <laughs> and you know what happened to them if they did speak with error. They weren't around too much longer. When you were in the presence of a prophet, you knew it. So there was a prophetic office, so to speak, in the Old and New Testament. Their words from God actually shaped the formation of Scripture. Today, we may not have a group of prophets who travel from place to place serving in the office of a prophet, but we have prophecy in the sense of foretelling, preaching. And we have the gift of prophecy. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul encourages everyone to pursue the gift of prophecy. The primary purpose of prophetic ministry is to strengthen, encourage, and comfort believers. Uh, verse 3, chapter 1 of uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, I mean, chapter 3. In other words, the one who uh, prophesies edifies the church. I just want to be careful here to say that I do not believe that the gifts of the Spirit, the, even the sign gifts, uh, came to a conclusion at the end of the first century. That they operate today as the Father determines under his sovereign control. He does what he does what he wants to with the gifts that he wants to. He is sovereign. Thirdly, evangelists. There's only, uh, this is the only place actually that the gift of evangelism is mentioned in all of the gifts. It's not repeated. Uh, some of you might have this gift. It's a gift given to a believer who with ease and effectiveness is able to deliver the good news. So when you share the gospel message with others, it's like they get it. It's like, oh, I was wanting to hear that message and they respond. And it could be sharing the gospel message one-on-one. -on -one. It could be as you get in a, an airplane and you travel and you talk to the person beside you. It's just that God has given those individuals that special gift to be able to communicate and, and people's hearts are opened and their minds are opened. It could be in a small group. It could be in a large gathering. As you know, one of the most remarkable evangelists in the world lived in our day 
I think that's amazing that we can say that. He just passed away, Billy Graham. But what a, what a joy for many of us to have witnessed his ministry. Maybe once or twice or many times through crusades or on television. Uh, and he preached to more people than anyone else in the history of time. Billy Graham. He lived in our day. God gave him the opportunity to preach to literally millions of people in his lifetime. And what a blessing. And you know, as you know, his messages were often very simple. No fanfare. Nothing spectacular. Lots of stories. And you might say it was, it was good. Yeah, it was, it was great. But maybe not. It wasn't spectacular. But it was good. But then he would say, now every eye head bowed and every eye closed. And I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seats and just come. And you look around. Wow. People from all over the stadium were getting up and coming. And what was that? Not Billy Graham, per se. He would admit that. It was the gift at work. The power of the gift of evangelism. The Holy Spirit using his faithfulness... Billy Graham's faithfulness to the gift that he was given. It's a beautiful gift. It's a beautiful gift. Those who have been given the gift of evangelism are the obstetricians of the church. They are gifted in bringing new birth, spiritual babies into the world. Oh, pray for more obstetricians in the body of Christ today. They have a gift to deliver spiritual babies. What a wonderful, what a wonderful gift. Just a comment here, though, and worth saying, even if we don't have the gift of evangelism, it doesn't mean that we don't share the good news with others, right? We all carry the mandate of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. It's just that some are specially gifted in this area. Some are specially gifted. Now, fourthly, pastors and teachers. Pastors and teachers. Evangelists are often more on the go. They're moving about from place to place. They're looking for more babies to deliver. And the gift of pastor-teacher is a little different. These are the people who stay, they put down roots, and they give themselves to the building up of the body of Christ, equipping the body for ministry. By the way, the two terms, pastors and teachers, are actually linked in the Greek text. There's a very close relationship between the two. Probably a hyphen between them is how we ought to see it. It is pastor-teacher. So all teachers are not pastors, but all pastors need to be teachers. Does that make sense? All teachers are not pastors, but all pastors need to be teachers. The individual shepherd... He shepherds the flock and in the process also teaches. If the evangelist is the obstetrician, then the pastor te teacher is the pediatrician. The pastor teacher comes along, feeds the new babies, gives them information. Uh, he or she has the responsibility of giving them food, giving them direction, giving them guidance, giving them encouragement, and so on. Bottom line for these four gifts, and others not mentioned 
in this passage, verse 12, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Of course, I'm a little more familiar with this last one. Uh, and God has given me some beautiful opportunities through the years to serve in the role of pastor-teacher. I'm just very grateful for that. We never stop growing, and we never stop learning. And that's one of the best parts. Well, and in the last couple of years, I've been journeying with uh, about 25 other pastors through online mentoring. Some of them just starting out uh, on, on the road. And it's awesome. It's awesome to grow together and to be part of their lives. Pastors from all across Canada. And it's a chance to walk together. And I just love what God's doing. I just love what the picture is for the future. There's a generation of young men and women coming up through the ranks. It's awesome. It's awesome. They have great hearts for God. And have you noticed they're in our church too? All of our staff. Uh, they have remarkable hearts for God. Men and women, they really do. Bless them. Tell them. Tell them often that you're praying for them. They love to serve Jesus in the local church. They have such a vital role to play as they equip us and as they encourage us. Norm and Tina. Norm's not a young pastor, nor is he an old pastor. He's an in-between pastor. And uh, Adam. And Quinn. Wow. And Marnie. And Anne. And Jen over at Southwest. And Selena over at Southwest. And Cheryl, our children's director. And Kara, and Nicole, who runs the preschool on the second level. They're awesome leaders. What a blessing to have them all and see how God is working in their lives. Using your God-given gifts. So let me ask you, where's God gifted you? Do you know? Do you know? How are you using your gifts for his honor and glory? How are you using your gifts for his honor and glory? And bless you as you do use uh, his gifts for, your, for his honor and glory. Let's stand together. Thank you again for using your gifts for the glory of God. Many of the gifts, uh, they get used here every week, every Sunday. Gift of serving, gift of helps. Wow, you know what I mean gift of encouragement, gift of leadership, administration, evangelism, gift of music up in front here today, gift of knowledge, gift of wisdom, uh, gift of discernment, uh, and so many more. God is using those gifts as we exercise them. So, Father, thank you for the gifting of the body. Thank you for your sovereign choice as to how you distribute those gifts. We receive as you've given, Lord, with thanksgiving. All of us are gifted. Lord, help us to drill down 
see the great abundance that's uh, in our hearts and lives through the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we want to honor you with our faithfulness in exercising the gifts that you've given to us. So bless your people, Lord, today. And may indeed, Father, all of our gifts working together build a strong ministry of love and grace that impacts the world. And everybody said, Amen.